The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Well, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to start a series in the book of Jonah. So we'll be looking at Jonah chapter one today. Uh, there should be Bibles there in the Purex in front of you. If you don't have one, you can take that one. It can be yours if you want. You can take it home with you and everything. But Jonah chapter one. Uh, we have not forgotten about Ephesians. We, we're going through Ephesians, the first part of the year. And for summer, we kind of took a break from Ephesians, did some Psalms, and now we have four weeks left in August. And so we thought Jonah would be a good book to go through uh, together. And so that's why we're doing that. Summer is wrapping up. I know that stinks to hear, but at least where we live, when the fair is over, it's kind of like, well, summer is about over. And the fair is over. And so we're getting ready to think about school, go back into that, all of our, the fall that we enjoy here in Michigan, which is always beautiful in the fall time, then into winter, which some of you love and some of us don't, but it's coming. Jonah chapter one, I was telling one of our uh, families, I went to their house and was talking with them. I'm like, hey, we're in Jonah this week. And one of the kids piped up, said, I used to love Jonah. I'm like, what do you mean? You used, you used to love Jonah. I'm too old for that story now. He said, eight years old or whatever, nine years old. I'm like, oh yeah? He's like, yeah, as a kid, you know, that was a good story, but I've moved on. I've moved on from Jonah. And I think, honestly, that might be the case for a lot of people. Uh, we, we know of some of these these people that we hear about in scripture that we learn about as a, as a little kid, if you were blessed to be raised in the church, you know, you heard about these stories and maybe even sang some songs about some of these Bible characters. But we do kind of think maybe we, we moved on from them. And Jonah definitely, Jonah definitely is, is one of them. I mean, we, we definitely have, you know, made the fish and put a little person in there or something. We've, we've all done these different crafts that you do uh, with Jonah. We've, we've had the discussions as we've got a little older as kids to really think about it. Like, wait a second, in the stomach, that's not doable, underwater. And so then we've heard the different scientific maybe reasons of all that story, but we kind of just leave it there with Jonah. But there's more to the book of Jonah for us to learn about, for us to understand. And I, I want to remind all of us this morning, I think this is a good reminder, that the book of Jonah is a book that has been breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Just like Ephesians, just like Romans, just like Galatians, just like whatever book you enjoy that you like to go back to, Hebrews, probably some New Testament book for most people, just like the Gospels, God has given us this book of Jonah, these four chapters. And there is a reason that we have it. God gave it to us for a purpose and for a reason. Now, there are some interpretive challenges as we go through Jonah that we'll have to face. Uh, there are people who look at Jonah simply as allegory or typology or maybe just simply narrative. And so we'll look at that as we go through Jonah together and, and talk about those different things. But together, I hope what we see is first and foremost, I hope that we realize as we read through Jonah, and I hope to always draw our attention to this through all four chapters, is that what we need to understand first and foremost is Jesus is a better Jonah. Jesus is a better Jonah. And so we have this story of a prophet, and really he stumbles his way through this story, but it needs to point us and to be thinking about 
Christ. And even Jesus himself speaks of Jonah, and we'll look at that this morning. And so I'm not taking a stretch. There's not a big leap here to say, you know, Pastor Tim, you're really just pulling Jesus out of a story. He's not there. No, not, not true at all. Jesus entered himself into this story when he talks about it in Matthew chapter 12, because he calls himself a better Jonah. And so that's the first and foremost, what we have to understand is that Jesus is a better Jonah in every single way. But we'll also see as we go through the book of Jonah, we're going to see maybe some of our own personal struggles that are reflected in Jonah's life, the way he handles God's call in his life and some different things. So maybe we'll see some of, our, some of our own personal struggles that we need to deal with if we're honest with the Lord. And we'll also be challenged at times, I think, in our relationship with God, especially when it comes to our trust in him. You know, we just read from Psalm 119 and we're talking about how we trust your statutes and we trust your ways. But if we're all really honest with ourselves, there are definitely some statutes of God, some things that God we know is calling us to that we're not comfortable with, that we could not say, God, I praise you for this law that you give us because we really don't like it. Really not a big fan that you're asking me to do this. Oh, we see this in Jonah as well. Well, if you look at Jonah chapter one, verse one, there's not a ton there for us. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, now we ask this question, who is this Jonah? And Jonah is actually referenced in another part of scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23 through 27, I'll read this for you uh, quickly. We see some more about Jonah and try to, trying to understand his life. It says, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath <clears throat> as far as the sea of the Arabia, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amity, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So as we approach Jonah, one of the things that we do know about Jonah is that Jonah is a prophet of God who God had used greatly during his lifetime. And so this story that we're going to look in this in the book of Jonah isn't Jonah's whole story. There actually had to have been a lot of great instances where Jonah was very faithful to the word of God. As God would speak to him as a prophet, he had no fear to share what God was telling him to tell the king or whoever it might be. We, we don't know who he was telling this to, but it just says that Jonah, Jonah was a prophet in the land here. And you remember, in order to be a prophet, in order to be a prophet of God, you had to be able to say a future event that would happen and then it would actually take place. And so Jonah, obviously, this was his life. He, he would, he would say, this is what God has spoken, this is what is going to be done, and it would be done. And so he had to be respected throughout the land. Now, when it comes to the book of Jonah, we don't know where this falls in the lifetime and in the lifespan of Jonah. You know, is this, was this the first time God spoke to him? Was this the last time God spoke to him? We really, we really don't know. There's, there's no way to say. I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say it's more towards the end of his life is what I would think. 
But again, I don't think the timing matters too greatly. Uh, but just know that, that we don't exactly know where that is. So let's look at the rest of Jonah together. Uh, chapter one, we'll read verse two through 17 and really hear the story that we hear about so often that is very fascinating. So it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Again, this is a story we've heard as kids. Many of us has heard them as kids, but it's good to look on that, this to see the truths of it. In verses one through three, we learn of Jonah, but then we learn about his flight from God's call. God calls Jonah to Nineveh to tell them of this great evil in their life. Now, Nineveh was a well-known evil place during this time. They're part of the Syrian empire. And the Assyrian empire was, to say the least, a very vicious place. They were not afraid to kill you, and they were not afraid to kill entire groups of people and to parade that around. And at this time, Israel really was under their control. Israel was probably at this time already paying taxes to the Assyrian Empire. And so they did not like Assyria. And so to hear about Nineveh was not a good thing for anybody. Jonah, when God calls out to him and says, go to Nineveh, Jonah hates Nineveh. And no doubt he hates all the inhabitants of Nineveh because 
of what they've done to Israel, because of who they are, whatever the case might be. This wasn't a comforting task for Jonah to hear. Go to the people that you hate. It's not a call like we so often say here. Share the gospel with your family members. Share them with your neighbors. You know, share them with the people you work with. No, this is a call. I need you to find the person you absolutely despise the most and go tell them the good news of the gospel. Go share with them, right, this good news. Go tell them about God. And so upon hearing this, upon hearing God speak, which again, remember, probably was not the first time that Jonah had heard God speak, what Jonah chooses to do is Jonah chooses to flee. He chooses to run from the task that God had given him. Now, as a prophet of God, Jonah would speak for God. He would speak the words of God to the people and to the authorities. And so one of the things that we can't question here is you might say, well, maybe Jonah misunderstood. Maybe Jonah misunderstood what God was saying. Now, let's be fair. I bet you've said this before in your life, right? I think God might be calling me to something. Maybe I'm misunderstanding here exactly what's taking place. Or maybe you come across something in the word of God and it's really challenging to you, but you're like, ah, maybe I'm misunderstanding something. Maybe I'm not really hearing clearly from the word of God. I need to really hear clearly so that I, I know exactly what's, what I need to do. This isn't the case for Jonah. Jonah knows exactly what he is supposed to do. No ifs, ands, or buts. Go to Nineveh and tell them God has heard of your wickedness. Go do that. And Jonah chooses and decides this is not what I am going to do. And so Jonah actually puts some action with his words here, and he flees, and he flees as far away as possible. If you, if you look on the map, you know, Nineveh is going to be northeast of Israel, over northeast in that area. Tarshish, some would say, is in Spain. And so Jonah goes to Spain. He, that's where he wants to go. He's going to get on a ship and, and get to Spain. And this is not some little task to do because it's not like today where you and I, if we wanted to, we can get to Spain relatively quickly. All right, we, we can fly or whatever. I guess you could take a boat probably if you wanted to. But this is probably like a year-long journey for Jonah to get there. And it's during a rough time of the year. And so it's going to cost him a fortune, not just leaving everything he knows to get away from God, but it's going to cost him probably everything he owns to be able to pay the fare to get on this ship to get away from what God is calling him to do so clearly. That's how determined he was to not do this. And so the question kind of is hanging there, why? Why is he choosing to do this? Why will he not do what God is calling him to do? If he's, if he's done this before, if he's had the courage to go before the king of Israel and say the truths of God, why would he not have the courage to do this here? Now, when you look in the commentaries, you see some people say, well, he's doing this actually to save Israel. He's doing this to, to, to care for Israel because he knows if he, if he goes to Nineveh and God actually does something there, it's just going to prove bad for Israel in the end because they're going to continue to conquer them. They're going to continue to reign over them. Right? Some say he just does it strictly out of fear of his own life. Again, Nineveh was known to kill outsiders. 
And so if this outsider walks in and all of a sudden is just saying something bad to them that they don't want to hear, who's to say they're not just going to kill Jonah? And so maybe Jonah's just, just scared for his own life. Well, thankfully, we don't really have to ask this question too long because Jonah answers it himself in Jonah chapter four, verse two, which we'll study in a few weeks. But listen what he says in talking to God. He's having his little pity party. It says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. (laughs) We asked the question about Jonah. Why did he choose to flee? He didn't want the grace of God to be shed on these people. I mean, what a horrible place for a prophet of God to be. I mean, honestly, it'd be like me today. He says, Tim, you're preaching to this congregation and you need to go preach the gospel to them, preach grace to them, let them know that I love them and that I've sent my son for them. And I stand and say, no, those people are all rotten. I don't give a flip about any of them. In fact, I'd rather they all die and go to hell. If I had my way, they'd all just die and go to hell. God, they, they deserve that. Look how mean they are. Look how cruel they are. Look at the lives they live. They don't deserve this. That's Jonah's stance when it comes to Nineveh. That's where, he, that's where he's at. And so we find him fleeing. We find him spending all this money to get away. But it's interesting because he can't run away from the Lord. You know, Jonah at this time probably would have known Psalm 139 that David had wrote. He, he would have known, where can I go to flee from your presence, David would say. If I go to Sheol, you are there. If I go to the highest heights of heaven, I'm there. If I go east or west, there you are. No doubt Jonah had said this before, and here he is trying to run from God, trying to run away from God. Well, maybe if I can get to Spain, he won't find me there. Well, he finds him before he gets to Spain. Because in verses four through nine, we see it says the Lord hurls up a great wind upon the sea. It doesn't say, hey, a a storm happened to come by. It says, no, the Lord started a storm. And it was a great storm and a mighty tempest on the sea, so strong that the ship is going to break. So this is no small storm at all. These were experienced mariners. These are people who lived their life on the sea. This is how they made their living. And the Bible tells us that these men are scared to death of what is happening. They're so scared that they're to the point to where they're calling on all of their gods for help, any god that they can think of. These are polytheistic men. They believe in all sorts of gods. And so they're just crying out to anything, similar to what we hear today. If something bad happens in our country, what does it say? Pray to all the gods. We want everybody to pray. We want everybody to get out there and pray. Pray to Mother Nature. Pray. Christians, pray to your God. Muslims, you pray to your God. Jews, you pray to your God. Everybody, just, just pray. We need help from anywhere. That's what these sailors are saying. This is what they are doing. We're going to throw it out there, and we're going to hope that some God somewhere will hear us. If we think the situation wasn't bad enough, these are men who earn their living by shipping cargo from one place to another, and we see them dumping their cargo. The only reason they're out there is to make money, and they're dumping their cargo, the only thing that's going to make them any money. They're throwing it off their ship to lighten up the ship, to hope that they can start steering it and maybe get away from the storm or be saved from the storm. 
Well, I don't know what caused this to happen, but all of a sudden the captain goes down to the bottom of the ship to wake up Jonah. Because we find Jonah not helping, we find Jonah not doing anything. And so the captain goes down to the bottom of the ship and he wakes Jonah up. And I want you to notice the similarity of what the captain says to Jonah to the similar to what God had said to Jonah at the beginning. Look at verse six. The captain comes to him. What does he say? What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. In verse two, when God speaks to Jonah, what does he say? Arise, go to Nineveh. It must seem like a horrible nightmare for Jonah. He knows he's running from God. He is trying to get away from God. And the words that the captain uses is the exact same word that God used to tell him to arise earlier. Jonah, no doubt at this point, knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly what is going on. They decide to cast lots lots on the ship. And who knows what's going through Jonah's mind in that moment? Maybe I'll get lucky. It won't fall on me. Or maybe he's thinking, maybe I should just step forward because we know how this is going to roll. We know how this is going to happen. And sure enough, the lot falls to Jonah. As they cast lots, it falls right onto Jonah and they start questioning him and they start asking, what is going on? You see, this was a common way to figure out what the gods were doing, casting lots. And so it wasn't, probably Jonah had seen it before. And they ask him, what is going on? And he answers them, doesn't he? He answers them. He says, I am a Hebrew. I fear God and not just any God. I fear the God who created this sea and created all of the dry land. And at this, they respond, right? They respond. Now, it's interesting to me that Jonah, they asked him very clearly, what is your occupation? And we do not have him saying that at all. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I serve the God who created all these things. And that's the God that I fear. But he doesn't say, and by the way, I'm, I'm a prophet of God. He doesn't say that. Now, it does say he tells them that he's running from God, but he doesn't say his occupation or what he is. And so Jonah tells them. And so again, Jonah's not ashamed of God. That's not what's happening here. He's not, he's not ashamed that he's a Hebrew. He's not, a, not ashamed of the God that he served at all. And he knows the power of God. He, he relays that to them by saying he created all things. This cannot be doubted. But what can be assured is even though Jonah isn't ashamed of God or anything, Jonah just simply does not like the plans of God. He doesn't like it. So that's why he is running. That's why he is going away. So as we get to verses 10 through 16, we find the men, again, are scared to death, says they are exceedingly afraid when they hear what Jonah has to say. And they're asking him, what have you, what have you done? Because they know that their life is probably over. Their life is over. But Jonah tells them, no, this is what you need to do. You need to pick me up and you need to throw me in and then everything will be fine. Now, these men do not want to do this. And so they do everything in their power to to row. They do everything in their power to get back to shore, which honestly probably isn't the best decision in a storm to get to shallower ground. It's probably more dangerous for your boat, but they don't want to kill this guy. And if you want to be honest, this is my feelings. I didn't see this in any commentary or anything anywhere. I think this shows just another horrible side of Jonah. He's watching these men try to get to shore. And at any second, he can jump overboard. At any second, he could end it himself. 
He could get out of the boat and calm the sea down. But no, what does he say? You have to throw me in. I'm not doing that. But if you throw me in, then it will all be fine. These men finally realize they get to a point. What we're doing is futile. We can't get to shore. We're all just going to die. We have no other choice than to do what Jonah has said to do. And so they actually go to the Lord and they seek forgiveness for killing this innocent man because they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if we throw him in there, he's a goner. He's not going to live. He's going to die. So the Bible says they pick him up and they throw him overboard. The Bible says as soon as that happens, the water's calm. I don't know how that looked. I don't know how that scene went, but it had to really be something to witness because at this moment, it says the men start to sacrifice to God. Now, it doesn't say that they sought salvation in the Lord, that now they were fully trusting in God. No, remember, this is just one of many gods, and this God has proven himself at this moment to be pretty powerful. And so we see these men, the only thing they know how to do then is to, to worship this God in this moment. And that is what they do. And then it finishes in verse 17. I don't know if the men saw this. I don't know how this went about. There's been much speculation that doesn't need to happen. But the Bible just tells us that the way that God saves Jonah from death is he brings a fish to swallow Jonah. And it says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. Either way, no doubt, these men 100% thought Jonah was dead. Whether they threw him in and saw him sink down or whether they threw him in and watched a fish eat him, Either way, he's dead, okay? Now, a lot of books, a lot of movies, a lot of stories have been written on this verse, verse 17. There's a lot of intrigue in it, but this verse is very vague. Again, how long was he in the water? What kind of fish? Did the men see Jonah? All these different things. Is the fish punishment? Is the fish salvation for Jonah? Again, many of these are unanswerable questions that I don't really think we need to answer but one of these can be answered for sure. And it's in Jonah chapter two, verse nine. We'll look at it more next week. But Jonah undoubtedly saw the fish as salvation. Because towards the end of chapter two, he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God had used that fish in Jonah's life to show him his salvation, even as he would flee away. And so the fish that we have here is a picture of the Lord's salvation. So as we look at these, this chapter together, what can we learn? What should we, what, what should we see from it? And I'm going to do this really in two ways. The first is I think it's very easy for us to see some parallels between Jonah and ourselves. I've done my best not to talk about that yet because I wanted to do it now. But I think we can definitely see ourselves in Jonah's shoes in some different areas. One of the things I think that we can learn first and foremost as we approach Jonah chapter one, and a lot of people go this route, is the importance of missions and the job of the church. See, even in the Old Testament, God here is calling one of his people to go to a foreign land to tell them, hey, I notice what's going on here. Right? Another kind of interesting point, nowhere, nowhere does it say, Jonah, go tell them I love them, that I'm going to save them. All this it just says, just go tell them. I see the wickedness that's going on here. But we see this call to missions in Jonah's life to, to get away from the land and to go to a foreign land and to tell them this truth. And 
the call still is very true for us today as Christians, and it's somewhere where we can easily connect with Jonah to see the importance of missions. Today, all around the world, there are many people lost and dying without any hope at all. In fact, they're living a life of delusion because they think some God is going to save them, but it's, it's not Jesus Christ. Or they think something else is going to allow them to come back again. And as long as they're good enough, eventually they're going to they're going to make it. There's there's billions of people around our world today who believe that lie. And when they die, they die and go to hell. And one of the calls and the great works that God has given us as the church is a call to go and tell them the good news, to go and tell them the gospel. It really is one of the good things about being part of Southern Baptist life and having the cooperative program and all this stuff is they believe in missionaries. And we have missionaries all around the world doing their best to share the gospel and to tell the truth of Jesus to a lost people. It's amazing to think in the time and age that we live that there's still people who do not know Jesus, but it's just the truth. It's just how it is. They haven't heard And the Bible says, how will they know unless somebody goes and tells them? How will they go unless somebody is sent? And it takes people to do that. It takes people to do that. And I have no doubt in my heart at all that there are people who are here in this church, who are a part of this church, that that could be the call in their life to go. To go and to share the gospel, not here in Monroe, maybe not in our state, maybe not even in our country, but somewhere to go and to faithfully share the gospel. Now, I would also say this. I would preface it with this. I think that calling in Christians' life is like 1% or 2% of Christians. For most Christians, we live a faithful life where God has placed us, and that's what God wants for us. That's his calling in your life, to be faithful where you are. But there is a very small percentage of Christians, I believe, that God says, I'm calling you to get up and go. I need you to learn another language. I need you to learn another culture. And I need you to get over there. And I need you to start sharing the good news of the gospel with these people. Now, to think that as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, we're void of that. To think that everybody who's hearing my voice today, they're not part of the 1%. I have to think that's wrong. I have to think that's wrong. Now, it would... It would hurt to lose some of you. I would send some of you out right now, actually. Some of you, if you came, and be like, yeah, you're a good candidate. But it's got to be. I, I would just think, because I, I just seen that's how God works. And so we're not void of that call. And so one of the things that we can definitely learn from the book of Jonah is still the importance and the call of missions. <clears throat> Another thing, as we look at it very personally, is the call to be faithful to God's calling in your life just kind of what we were just talking about. But as I said, for most people, you're not going to be a pastor. You're not going to be a missionary that's sent somewhere. You're not going to be a church planter. It's just not going to be your life. And that's perfectly okay. Actually, it's fantastic because that's not how God planned it. That's not how God designed it. Remember, we're a body with, with different parts and those parts need to do their part. Not the other part's part, your part. And so for most normal Christians, faithful Christians, your job is to be faithful to the things God is calling you in your life where you are now. And you might ask, well, Pastor Tim, I don't know what that is. Well, let me help you with some of the things. Are you ready for this? Be a part of your church. That's your first thing. 
If you've been saved by the grace of God, you need to be faithful to your church. You need to be there. You need to invest time there. You need to be willing to devote money to that. All these things, prayer, being part of it, participating, that is a calling in your life that cannot be questioned. You cannot question that and say, I'm just not sure. I'm telling you you're wrong. It's 100% positive you should be a part of your church. Second thing, are you married? Love your spouse. You're called to do that. Be a good husband. Be a good wife. Care for her. Care for him. Love each other well. If God blessed you in your marriage with kids, the Bible says that is to be a joy of your heart and to love your kids. To love your kids well. To be honest, I was kind of heartbroken this week. I was, I was talking with somebody in our community. They're really a community leader. And we were talking about trying to balance our time between work and family and how difficult that is. And we were, we were talking about that and how, man, when I'm at home, I feel like I should be at church. But when I'm at church, I feel like I should be at home. And there's always this tug of war. And he was saying, yeah, I understand that too. And I was trying to get across to him the importance of his family because he has younger kids and he's at a stage of life where it's probably really important for him to be home. But he just had this thing in his mind that he couldn't get past, that his work was so important. That was his calling. And that calling went above and beyond his family most of the time. And he would say, they just need to understand that. Now, I don't think that's a biblical concept. I don't. Now, I think there are times that God will call us to do some things and our families need to understand. We can't have this big of a house. He's calling us to get a smaller house so that we can use our resources for better things. Or, you know what? I'm sorry, but we got to pick up and move and your kids are going to be ticked off, but it's, this is what God has for us. We got to go. That's okay. But as a dad, as a mom, you are called to love your kids well, to train them in the ways of the Lord so that they will not depart from that. That is a calling on your life that you simply cannot question. I could go on and on. There's other things that are so simple in scripture that we see, but too often we want to get past that because we're wondering about God's huge special calling in our life. Listen, be faithful where you are. Do the things you know God has called you to and do those well and watch how God will bless your faithfulness in your life and in those around you also. One of the other things we learn here in Jonah, and this is a difficult lesson, but it's one we we talked about recently. God disciplines his own. Now, one of the benefits of Jonah's life, which maybe he doesn't understand as he's sitting in the guts and intestinal fluids of that fish, however that worked out, is that God was showing how much he cared for Jonah in that moment. He he could have easily said, well, fine, I'll call up some other prophet. Go to Spain, see ya. You're not mine anymore, enough. But no, God, God still reaches out to Jonah because Jonah is God's. And he says, you're gonna go through some difficulties here, but I'm gonna get you to where you need to be because I care about you and I love you. And that's what we see happening in this story with Jonah, God disciplining his own. Another thing we see, and I think we have to ask, especially in this section, how strong really in our hearts as Christians, as an individual Christian, I'm gonna say, not as a church family, but you as an individual Christian, how strong really is your desire to see people come to know the Lord? 
I mean, it's a question that I have to ask myself. It's a question that you have to ask yourself because I know we can get on Jonah's case and I can get really frustrated, but I could probably think of people groups in my life that at some time I would have had the same reaction as Jonah. God, they don't deserve you. They don't deserve you at all. I mean, in fact, if you, if you go to Facebook and Christian Facebook, there's a whole segment of our population that Christians say don't deserve God. And it'd just be better off if they would all die and get out of here. I mean, we just gotta be honest about that. And so how softened is our heart to the gospel for other people to just have this true desire above all other things that they would understand and realize the grace of God and really for us to be pouring our hearts out to God as individuals saying, God, would you please pour your grace out on the nations? They need you. They need your salvation. That is their only hope. God, would you, would you show them that their hope, that their peace, that their joy is only found in Christ? Would you, would you send people to let them know that? Would you, God, is it me? Would you send me if I need to go? But God, I hate seeing people die and going to hell. Is that really our heart's cry? If it's not, then I mean, I think that's something we need to repent of. And that's something that we need to be asking God, God, mold and make my heart so that I can get there. God, soften my heart for the lost. God, in your sovereign plan, we know that you are saving people. Continue to save people, please. Because we have to remember, apart from the work of God in our life, who are we to say that we deserved it? Who are we to say that we deserved it for a second? I mean, when I really think about my life, I was raised in church. I can think of the cuss words I've said probably on one hand, right? I mean, I can go and list all these things, but when I really think of my heart that I know very well, I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve for his son to die for me in my place. I deserve to die. I deserve the cross. I deserve to be buried and never come up again. I deserve hell. But for some reason, God would save me by his grace. And for the audacity for me to think for one second to say, yeah, but you don't deserve it. No. We pray that God would break our hearts for the loss. But as we look at these things that we can learn from this story, if this is all that we see, we fail. We fall short, I think, of seeing the true beauty of the book of Jonah. Because as I mentioned in the book of Jonah, what we see is we see a type of Christ in Jonah and the person of Jonah. And in Jesus, we have the perfect Jonah. I mentioned Matthew chapter 12 earlier. Jesus would say in verses 38 through 42, it says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What Jesus is talking about here as he answers the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12 
is Jesus is proving his supremacy and he's proving his fulfillment of the Old Testament. Because remember, Jesus would say, I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the whole Old Testament. He's showing us this here in Matthew chapter 12. He would say, Jonah, three days in the fish. Jesus, pretty soon, three days in the tomb. But as Jonah would need to get vomited out onto dry land, I'm going to rise again. While Jonah was saved by this fish and salvation is seen by the fish for the salvation of these Gentiles in Nineveh, as we will later see, when Jesus is saying the greater Jonah is here, he's saying, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise again, not for the salvation of just Nineveh, but for all, for all, for all Gentiles, Jews alike, for anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, says in Romans. And so we see this truth. And so Jesus, really, as we read the book of Jonah, as we see Jonah, we have to see Jesus and understand that he is so much greater. As Jonah would ride into town with Nineveh and preach salvation, Jesus is salvation. Jonah is just a man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jonah, in hearing the words of the father, decides to run and flee. Jesus, in hearing the words of the Father, decides to lay everything down and obey completely. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is comparing, as I mentioned, a few different things to himself. And it's not just Jonah. Earlier in chapter 12, he compares himself with King David. I also read there at the end how he compared himself with Solomon. And what Jesus is doing here he's trying to show the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish people how he completely fulfills every office that they have had before. He is the perfect king. David fell short. Jesus is the perfect king. Jonah, the prophet of God, is a bad example, kind of, of a prophet here, even though he's always spoke well of in the New Testament. But Jesus says, I'm the best prophet. I am the prophet. And then you go down to Solomon and he speaks, of, he speaks of Solomon's wisdom, but we also know Solomon was the child of the king. And Jesus saying, I'm, I'm way beyond Solomon when it comes to wisdom. I'm much better than any of these things. I am the fulfillment of all of these things. Everything you have ever known, Jesus is saying to these people, is wrapped up in me. I complete it fully. You see, Yes, the story of Jonah is absolutely fascinating. It really is. It's extremely fun for kids to learn about. Actually, Adam's here. Adam ran around this building once. Go, go, Jonah, some play. I don't know, he, like a fool running around this building, I remember as a sixth grader or whatever. We sing songs about Jonah. We do all these different things. And that's, that's great. I mean, it, it's good. It's, it's, it's a good way for us to learn. But in it, as we, as we learn about Jonah, there's just, there needs to be something that we are longing for because Jonah just doesn't seem to fulfill everything. Actually, when we get to the end of Jonah, we're actually a little disturbed. You're gonna be bothered when we get to the end of Jonah because it doesn't wrap up pretty. There's, there's not this nice bow at the end of it. And so when we get done reading the book of Jonah, it's like, ah, I need something more. I need something else here. It feels like it's not complete. And it's because it wasn't. It's completed now through Christ fully. We don't need prophets. 
I don't need people to tell me the future. I don't, I don't need any of that stuff in my life. I don't need someone to come to me and assure me of my safety after I die. I don't need any of this stuff anymore. Why? Because Jesus has fulfilled all of that for us as believers. He saved us by his grace. He's given us his righteousness so that when God the Father sees us and judges us, he doesn't judge Tim based on Tim's actions. He judges Tim's based off of Jesus' actions. And his actions are perfect and complete and final. And so as we continue to go through the book of Jonah, my prayer is, number one, yeah, I want it to challenge you personally with the things that I mentioned earlier. To have a true heart for the lost. To understand you do not have to go to India or Nepal or wherever it might be to live as a missionary. You can be on mission right here. We live the mission out all the time. That's what we do. This mission word is very, I don't know, catchy, I guess. It's what we are as Christians. We're on mission to serve God faithfully every day where we are. And yes, I want you to see that. But more than anything, as we go through Jonah, I want you to see how Jesus is the perfect Jonah. Jesus is the perfect prophet. He's the perfect priest. He's the perfect king. We see it very clear, clearly in scripture. And we should yearn for him and worship him and serve him each and every day of our life. And so I hope that you'll do that faithfully as a Christian. I'm gonna ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning as we take some time to respond to the word of God. I know that today's message has been very focused on the church, really, on, on Christians and our calling. And that's okay, because that's the truth of this word. And I want to challenge, challenge us in here, as the church, as those of you, you would identify saying, I have been saved by the grace of God. I first and foremost want to challenge you to this. How much do you love the lost? Really? How much do you care about the lost, the people around you, the people around the world, who with, if they're to die today, they're, they are destined for hell because they're completely separated from God. They, they have no relationship to God through Jesus. Do we really care? Would you be willing this morning to pray and to ask God to soften your heart, to put people into your life that you can share the gospel with? You know, maybe it is a coworker, a family member, a son, a daughter, I don't know. But maybe would you be willing to pray, God, give me opportunity to share the gospel? Or maybe you need to go even a step before that and say, God, give me a heart where I actually have a desire to see them saved. God, really burden me for the lost so that I'm willing to share the truth, your truth to them. Help me to not be like Jonah and to run from the things you've called me to, but to be faithful like Jesus and obey the things that you have called me to. God, I do pray this morning for everybody who's here and myself, as we look at the book of Jonah, that you would help us to, to learn, help us to see Christ very clearly God, we look to this story and it is fascinating. It's very interesting to study and try to 
figure things out scientifically or whatever, try to figure out the different language that was used in Jonah and how it all fits together. But God, I pray that you would use this book in our church's life, how you see fit. God, maybe it is to call some people to missions or, or maybe it's to rekindle a flame in our heart for the lost here in our community. Out here in, in Monroe, in the city, in the, in the county, the surrounding areas, God, there's, there's many people here who are lost. And God, your word tells us that you've, as Christians, you make us a light to the nations. And it's our job to point people to you. It's our job to love people how you love them. God, we cannot save anybody. I cannot convince anybody to be a Christian. God, that's work that you do. But God, I can share with people the good news. I can love people and love them in a way where I also tell them about your son and what he's done. And God, no doubt many people will reject that. There'll be some who hate us for that. But God, I pray that that wouldn't put within our heart hate for them. But instead, it would cause us to pray more earnestly, to love even more, even in the face of persecution. So God, I, I ask that you would soften our hearts here at North Missionary Baptist Church to, to love the lost. Help us to be people of prayer who are consistently praying that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would heal the brokenhearted. God, I'm thankful that we have got to see that work done over and over again, how your faithfulness in people's lives and saving them. But God, we do pray that that would continue. Use us where you see fit. God, as we get ready to sing this song, I do pray that we would respond to your word how we should. Maybe as we stand to sing for some, it, they just need to remain seated and spend some time praying. Maybe they feel their heart getting hardened and that you'd be softening their heart. Maybe there's sin in their life. God, maybe for some, they've never trusted in Christ as their savior. And today's the day for that. You've opened their eyes to that. God, I don't know what you want to do this morning, but I trust that your will will be done. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.